Well, God bless you, brothers and sisters. Welcome to Fruit of the Vine Ministries. My name is John Davison. You're listening to our study on the book of Esther. We're in chapter 3, and Esther is what I call the protocol to intercession. Throughout the story of Esther, we learn about Esther being a picture of the bride of Christ. We learn about King Ahasuerus actually being a picture of God in heaven. And then we also see the understanding of spiritual warfare, dealing with sins, dealing with those who bring sin into our life, dealing with the accuser of the brethren, Satan himself, how he comes and accuses us before God, what his plots and his schemes are, and how we can foil his plots. And we can storm the gates of hell in strength in the presence of God in these last days. So I want to pick up in chapter 3. I encourage you to listen to chapter 1, chapter 2 in the introduction, and then watch the rest of this series so that you can be encouraged and understand your calling as the bride of Jesus Christ. Amen. Chapter 3. After these things, King Ahasuerus praised Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and promoted him and set his seat above the officials who were with him. We talked about in chapter 2, we discussed how the son of Kish was Saul, King Saul, in 1 Samuel. We also discussed how King Saul was supposed to wipe out the Amalekites and King Agag. Because King Saul did not follow God's decree to wipe out the Amalekites, we now have to introduce in the book of Esther, Haman. Haman is the descendant of King Agag, the king of the Amalekites, whom Saul, King Saul of the Israelites, whom Saul was supposed to destroy, but because he refused to remove the sin from the land, sin is now coming back to bite the Jewish people. Think about this. As the bride of Christ, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of a sin, and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and tells you that He wants you to cleanse that sin from your life and repent. If you do not repent, if you do not wipe that sin from your life, I promise you, brothers and sisters, that it will come back and become a stronghold. Listen. Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, says the king promoted him. Why? Why would the king promote Haman? Because we promoted him. Because when we promote sin in our life over the word of God, it gets the authority over us. Anything that you entertain, any sin you entertain, you cannot drive out. Let me take this as an example for you. Let's say that you have a television show that you like to watch. Or let's say maybe one of you likes to watch uh, The Walking Dead. Okay, I've heard about this thing. I've never seen it. But it's, it's death and decay. I hear that in this, in this uh, series, in this movie, that, that there's actually Christian actors in this movie that lose their morals and they start killing people and doing things that are against Scripture. And the world is praising this, and you as a believer are watching this program about Christians that, that have lost their morals and lost their guidance and lost their guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's sin. That's, that, is, that is idolatry. That is something that, that God says, you know, touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you unto myself. He says even to, to, to not even do anything that would appear to be evil. He says not even have anything to do with it. Stay away from it. 
So the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you and saying, listen, I don't want you to watch this television show, but you go, mm, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. Well, what happens? Your conscience becomes desensitized to the things of death and decay. You start listening to the half, you start listening to the words that are coming out of the actors' mouths. You start looking at the half-naked women that are on these types of programs running around. You start to have lust in your heart for the actors and actresses. What happens? The sin that you chose not to drive out in your life becomes a stronghold that the enemy can set up and build upon. So it's now no longer just that sin. It becomes this sin and this sin and this sin. And it becomes a place of authority where the enemy can have authority over your life. What happened here? Saul refused to do what God commanded him to do and drive out the sin people, the Amalekites. Because he refused to drive out the Amalekites, what ended up happening was Haman ended up getting into a position of authority. It's interesting if you look up the Hebrew for Amalek or the Amalekites, it literally means, listen to this, if you look up the Hebrew word for Amalekite, it means lack of the fear of the Lord. Lack of the fear of the Lord. That's what the Hebrew word means for Amalekite. Because Saul refused to drive out the lack of the fear of the Lord and kill the Amalekites, the Amalekites become a stronghold in, his, in the Jewish people's lives through Haman. And then Haman inevitably tries to kill every Jew in Persia. You cannot let sin rule and reign in your life. It will indeed become greater and stronger and more powerful if you do not take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And that was just verse 1. Verse 2. All the king's servants, when they were at the king's gate, bowed and paid homage to Haman, since the king had commanded it. Mordecai, however, would not bow and pay homage. Mordecai would not. He was faithful to his God. He would not bow to sin. And he would not give honor to sin in his life. Sometimes we allow the enemy, the adversary, to take a position of authority and we say things like, I really want to stop doing that, but I just can't. As soon as you say the word can't, you have done your deed in bowing to Haman. As soon as you say, I just can't give this up, you say, I just gave it full authority to rule me and to rule my life. I can't quit smoking. Well, I guess you just gave those cigarettes more authority than God. I can't quit drinking and cussing and doing the things that I'm doing. I can't do it. It's just, it's, just, it's in my nature. It's who I am. Well, then you will bow to those things. And Jesus is no longer your Lord. Your sin is your Lord and your position of authority in your life. This is very serious. This is a matter of life and death. This has to do with your spotless garments and your time before the king and entering his presence. Who, who pray tell, can ascend to the heavens? He whose ways are blameless and spotless what your mouth sanctified. The tongue is a rudder. Right? That's what it says. We need to speak what God speaks, say what he says, live as he lives. Ephesians 5 tells us very clearly, to be ye therefore imitators of God.
Chapter 3, verse 5. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed nor paid homage, he was filled with rage. Do you think the enemy gets mad when we decide that we're not going to do the things that he's whispering in our ears? You think he's upset that at once he had control over us, but now he doesn't? That he once was able to tell us, do this, do this, do this, and we would watch those pornographic movies, or we would go and stay in that music band that plays all that nasty music, and, well, I'm just, I want to be there to reach people. Yes, but Jesus didn't open up a brothel so that he can reach prostitutes. He didn't do that. Listen. Verse 6. But he was disdained to lay hands on Mordecai, since they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Listen to this. Since they told Haman who Mordecai was, he's a Jew, and of the people of Mordecai. When Haman learned that Mordecai was a Jew, he knew of King Saul, and he knew of, of God trying to use the Israelites to drive out Haman and his people. And Haman instantly found something that set him off. And he said, I'm going to kill this guy. Don't you think the enemy has a death wish on you? Especially if you're out sharing your faith? Especially if you're exposing the kingdom of darkness? Do you think he has something on you? Don't you think he would really enjoy the opportunity to take you out? Listen. This is where we understand the word Purim. So Haman sought to destroy all the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Azuaraz. This is verse 6 and verse 7 now. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan. Now we're talking about the, the, the biblical calendar, the month of Nisan. In the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast the pur, that is lots. What is lots? What is pur? If you take a look at the image on the screen here, you're going to see what looks like a dice or a die. In pagan customs and in pagan cultures, what they would do is they would cast lots before their idols. They would have a large statue. They would cast lots before their idols and whatever the lots, whatever the die fell on, that is what they would do because they believed that their God was telling them the instructions through the, the sorcery or the witchcraft of the die. And so they cast the purr, what? Before Haman daily and each month until the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, to determine the time. What time? The time that Haman was going to strike and kill the Jews. Listen to this. Is Satan waiting for a time when he is going to be let loose on the earth? Is Satan waiting for a time when he is going to be able to fully kill man and have his rule and reign on earth? Is he casting and waiting for the time? You better believe that he is. The book of Revelation and the prophets, Zechariah, Daniel, all of them, they tell us of a time when there will be a period of tribulation on the earth, a seven-year period of tribulation. And the enemy is going to be let loose. There's going to be demonic realm, demonic things let loose on the earth, and it's going to kill humans. It's going to, to, to do all kinds of demonic things to the human race. And listen to this, listen to this. There's going to be a beast coming out of the sea. There's going to be a, an antichrist and a false prophet. And it says that they're going to have power and authority over man. So much so that they're going to have to take a mark. Mankind's going to have to take a mark. Otherwise, they won't be able to buy, sell, or trade, eat, do any of that stuff on earth. 
So in this picture, we have Haman rising to a position of authority over the Jewish people, okay, over the people of God, get this, over the people of God, and he's trying to kill them and destroy them. But we see what happens. There is a protocol of intercession that takes place. Listen to this. Then the king said to Azuarez, There exists a scattered people dispersed among other peoples in the province of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all others, and they are not complying with the king's laws. So they may not be suitable or reason with the king to allow them to exist. In other words, because they don't obey you, king, here's the accuser of the brethren, Satan going before God, because they don't obey you, they should be destroyed and cast out of your kingdom. And what happens? If it pleases the king, verse 9, may it be written that they are, they are to be destroyed. And may there be 10,000 talents of silver disposed into the king's treasuries, so that I may distribute it to the hands of those doing the work. The king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. So, so he sealed... Wait a minute. Let me get this right. You're telling me that the king had a scroll that was sealed which ordered for people to what? To be able to be destroyed by the enemy. Sounds a lot like the book of Revelation to me. Sounds a lot like when Jesus the Lamb opens up the scrolls and breaks open the seal that the king sealed. Who is worthy to open up the scroll? Only the Lamb of God. Who sealed the scroll? The king. So when Jesus opens up the scroll, the enemy is free to go and kill, steal, and destroy. That's what the king is doing here. Haman is going and saying, listen, they don't obey you. It says in scripture that the enemies of God will be destroyed. Why? Why are they enemies? Because they neither loved God, they never obeyed him, or maybe they said they did know him and they were just religious hypocrites playing the game of church. And they ended up in the tribulation period. Just something to think about. Let me build upon that thought. Verse 12. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the fifth month, and decree was written just as Haman had commanded to the king's satraps, and to the governors over each province, and to the officials of the peoples, and to every province according to its own script, and to every people in their own language. It was written in the name of King Hahazuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. The letters were sent by mounted carriers into all the king's provinces, what? To cause, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all of the people, all of the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day. The third month, Adar the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and even to plunder their possessions, a copy of the decree issued by law in every province was proclaimed, calling for a people to be ready for that day. That day. Scripture tells us that there's going to be a day of the Lord. That there's going to be a scroll that is written. A scroll that is sealed with the the king's signet ring. And that it will be a day of death and destruction. Keep in mind, though, that this is not God who is doing the killing, the stealing, or the destroying. Jesus said that the thief comes but not to kill, steal, and destroy. The thief, the enemy, 
comes not, but to kill, steal, and destroy. It tells us in, in Scripture that, that, that he who restrains will restrain until he's taken out of the way. And in that verse, I believe it's Thessalonians, where it talks about the Antichrist being loosed on the earth. Sounds like spiritual warfare to me. Sounds like there's letters being written. Sounds like the king is allowing some things to take place. Although the king is not doing it, he allows it. It is not his will that anyone should perish, but that everyone should come to everlasting life. However, there are people that will be killed and destroyed by the adversary in, in the tribulation period. The couriers went out, being hastened by the king's command, at the citadel of Susa. When the decree was issued, the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was in an uproar. Scripture tells us that when these things are loosed on the earth, that, that men's hearts will, will fail them for fear. It says that men will want to die and they'll want the rocks and the mountains and things to fall on them, but they won't be able to. It even says that if you read the different scrolls and the trumpets and the bowls, it even says that there's a time where the adversary is not allowed to kill anyone, but then in the next chapter it says that they are. Tails with, with uh, scorpion tails and things of this name, all these symbolisms and things that are going to take place, it's going to be terrible. And so in this time, it's so important for us as the bride to intercede before the tribulation period. And that's what the book of Esther is truly about, intercession. It's about the bride of Christ interceding before the tribulation takes place. Oh yes, it's that deep. It's about the bride of Christ coming before the king spotless and blameless, interceding on behalf of the people, on behalf of the people of God for that matter. Notice that, that, that it doesn't... It, well, when we get there, we're going to get there here soon in chapter 4. So I'm just going to leave it for chapter 4. So join me for chapter 4 in this next series. And I hope that you're really grasping where we're going with this. I hope this is strengthening you and your inner man. You're becoming bold and you're understanding God's will for your life and His plan for you as His bride. And so I bless you. And until next time, God bless you and keep you. In Jesus' mighty name, be strong, be strong, and may you be strengthened. Hashem Yeshua HaMashiach, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.